My name is Eddie Sofer, and I beat the often path by getting involved in sustainability at a time where a lot of people were not focused on it. And I'm excited to be here. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we seek out unusual success stories to help us see our lives and careers from a different perspective. Edward Sofer calls himself an entrepreneur. Heavily involved in finance, Eddie saw a few years back that he wasn't focusing his attention on what really mattered to him, sustainability. Now, with 20 years of experience in financial services, Eddie initiated the Impact app at Interactive Brokers, his company, a publicly traded company with billions in capital. Eddie works in what's called ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance, one of the most exciting new avenues of investing, period. He has spearheaded technology that makes it easier for consumers to understand exactly what or who they're investing in, so they can only support companies and missions that they actually believe in. So important these days. He's proof that you can facilitate change within your company, and I think you're going to really, really get a lot out of this conversation. I know I did. So here's Eddie Sofer. Well, I'm very excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining me, Eddie. It's a pleasure. Great. So obviously, when you look at your website, it screams originality. It's a interactive brokers. When I first saw that you were coming through, I thought, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Who is this guy? But then I learned more about your actual story, and I was fascinated with a lot of the elements that came up. So we don't often cover topics like this, interactive broker, brokerage. I will confess that I'm probably the most ignorant person on these matters that anybody will ever meet. I'm the guy that gets sent to the market with some cash and comes back with a handful of magic beans. So I'm about to get schooled here. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and your path to get there. Definitely. And just to let you know, also, Ross, my background, I'm also not a broker or a day trader or anything like that. It all stemmed from sustainability. So Interactive Brokers is one of the largest uh, broker dealers, you know, um, in the United States and also globally. So we provide uh, investors an opportunity to trade all sorts of uh, securities and stocks and commodities and other things. My title is ESG manager, and I arrived at the firm in December of 2019 with the mandate to start um, an ESG team. Um, working very closely with our, our director here internally. And ESG for your audience, because I know it's starting to, people starting to hear more about it more and more. It stands for Environment Social Governance, right? And so some people might refer to also sustainability, responsible investing. There's a lot of terms out there and there's not one uniform way of defining it, except I would say it is ways that will help to improve our society and improve improve our planet, our Earth. So that's that's what it is. So it's well, it's been an start. incredible ride. Go ahead. Yes, sorry. That's a good start. Yes. So sustainability. So you've come to this, and you would consider yourself, I believe, an entrepreneur, right? So you work for a publicly traded yeah. company, but you are tasked with creating something within that environment. So that's already kind of interesting for this show. Yeah. And um, I did it also for my prior employer. So I was an entrepreneur as well, sounding the sustainability alarm back then. And, uh, you know, it all started around six years ago um, when I was in, in a conference in, in South America. And to be honest with you, I've always been in finance, but I never found it to be fulfilling. It's one of those things like, 
there's got to be a, a deeper meaning, a higher sort of meaning to everything that I'm doing, right? Kind of like going on a on a spiritual journey, believe it or not, and in finance, it's kind of rare to hear those terms <laughs> together, right? It's like, what? Well, that's what we're what? doing. I love it. <laughs> so I started questioning, and honestly, I'm like, you know, what, what is this all about? I mean, what? I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. So, so is there something bigger out there? And I guess the universe responded when I was in in South America in a conference in Panama. There was this panel, and and someone was talking about sustainability and how to marry it in financial services. And like, wait, am I dreaming or is this for real? Because I try to be a spiritual person. I'm not saying I'm I, I'm sure I'm not perfect at it, but I try. And so to to hear that resonate and and to see that it's it can be part of my business journey was something that was amazing to me. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Um, but it was kind of like at the beginning, sustainability ESG was out there, but a lot of people were still kind of questioning it. What what is this about? It was seemed more like a charitable thing to do. It's good for the planet, so you should go to the charitable department. Um, but uh, I started to do research and I taught myself ESG, just reading massive amounts of, of information out there. And, and, you know, when you start doing that, in addition to your day job, it means that there's a passion there. There's something that you need to, absolutely to, you know, to explore. There's something that's feeding your soul. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and um, I was able to, to um, come up with a strategy for my last firm and how to incorporate sustainability and ESG into their business and not just for products and services, but for the overall culture. Well, so you, go, ahead. go ahead. The journey started there. Go ahead. I was going to say you used an interesting phrase back there. You said sound the alarm about sustainability, something that many people feel. And the question is, how much should that alarm be sounded? Should we be sounding an alarm? Some people say, absolutely, yes, we're late. We're behind schedule. We need to be taking all of this much, much, much more seriously. And then you have other people saying, What's the big deal? Just yeah. going to barbecue with my family on the 4th of July. Who cares? Yeah. So the way that I see it is that we all live together in one planet and my actions affect your world and vice versa. So I, I look at it sort of like a universal component. And I do feel that it is the time to, to focus so much more on it and to continue to sound the alarm. And I think that world events and things that are happening speak for themselves. Like, I don't need to convince you, you know, look what's happening out there. You're seeing climates change. You're seeing all this very unusual weather patterns and fires happening in the, around the world. That's on the environmental side. You're seeing what's happening with social justice. You're seeing what's happening with wars out there, the pandemic. So all of these events, in my opinion, are, are a sign that we need to take action collectively and do something about it. And I definitely think a lot of people, when we started going into the pandemic, thought that the sustainability ESG thing was going to go away. Let's focus. No, it's elevated it to the top of the agenda even further. And now you're seeing it. It has spread globally into all industries, right? So I think every business is starting to like it. look at it. And there's a number of factors at play here. Um, and the forces are first generation uh, Z and also the millennials, right? Mm -hmm. This is a new generation of everything. That's what I call them, right? They're the investors, the consumers, or the buyers, or the they're going to be the next generation of employers and employees. And so you have to start paying attention to some of the things that they want. And they, believe it or not, and I'm sure you know this, is they have the power of the wallet. So they're the ones that are going to decide where their money is going to go. And they care deeply about all the things that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And in addition, we have 
I mentioned global events, but also the other force is the regulatory environment. So regulators are starting to pay more and more attention into, into ESG and starting to require companies to disclose more about what they're doing in, in this field. So. Well, I love that your journey began with travel. Travel is a theme that I talk about a lot, even though you were at a conference, like you said. Uh, I think one of the reasons that people are able to put these aside, it's just a personal theory, is that if you don't travel, if you never leave your backyard and you order all this stuff, you have no concept of where it comes from. Now, I've traveled to a certain country that we all know that I don't need to name for political reasons, and I've seen where a lot of the plastic stuff that we purchase is made. And I've seen how much pollution is in the air. And most people who've never visited such a place can't imagine how much pollution there is in the air at all times in the place where all of the stuff that you buy is made. And when you witness that, you realize this is also on Earth. This is just a part of Earth that if you don't go to, you don't know that it's there. So it's easy to put some blinders on and forget about it and say, in my neighborhood, I don't have pollution. I don't have rivers that are destroyed. I don't have rivers that change color depending on which iPhone is being manufactured that week. But when you start traveling more, you see some things from a different perspective. So I love that your story also kicked off with traveling, even though it was to Panama. Yeah. And and thank you for that, Ross. I, I think I'm also very blessed because I have a very diverse background that, you know, you, you mentioned obviously plastic and the way it's produced, but I think there's also a social factor here that we need to, to take into account. And that is, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Mexico. My parents are from the Middle East. I'm Jewish background. You know, there's so much diversity here and it makes me appreciate cultures even more. But it also focuses on, on how sometimes and you're seeing it. People are discriminated against for your background, either because you're this or because you're that. And so th there's an element of not just saving the environment, but treating each other as human beings with respect. Right. And being more sensitive to where people are coming from. So that also uh, inspired me to get into the sustainability world um, because of the, of the background that I have. So, Well, that's fantastic. And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot in this show is that transformation or that decision, the enough is enough moment where somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm heading in a direction that I'm not happy with or I'm doing something that I don't like. How do I switch? For some people, that means quitting their job. For some people, it means changing careers to something drastically different. For others, it's more of a small shift. Can you describe that transition in your own life? How did you begin the process of shifting towards values that you aligned with more? Yeah, and thank you. That That is a really, really good question. And, and hopefully I can inspire some of your audience. For me, it was looking um, at more meaning, like what am I going to do that's going to make me passionate? And once I found sustainability, I just went full force. Um, I didn't know what the future was going to bring, to be honest with you. I, of course, I was concerned. Oh, my God, do I need to leave? What, how am I going to do this? But I, I do feel that once you you find that path that you, you're really, really passionate about, do not give up. Keep pursuing it because the universe will answer. Um, I think we're all on this earth meant to do something that we are supposed to do and something that we love. And once you find that, somehow the doors opened and, and for me, but it's not easy. You need to take action, right? You can't just say, oh, okay, I want to go into sustainability. So I'll just sit here and wait. No, you got to do something about it. And, and for me, it was, you know, sort of sounding the alarm of my past company and, and talking passionately with, with people that you work with about it and saying, this means a lot to me. I really want to get involved. Can you help me find a mentor, find someone that can, that can open up doors for you. Um, so it took, it took a while. I did it 
while I was doing my regular day job, which is relationship management and sales in my past job. But um, eventually, um, you know, they allowed me to do this on a part-time basis. But then I said, I want to do this full-time. I want to go somewhere that really embraces it. And then I found that opportunity at Interactive Brokers. So don't give up. Keep going after it. Incredible. And on the show, we've also covered a lot of people who have started their own business, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of social entrepreneurs. But it has come up before that for many people, the best thing that they can do to make a difference is change the company environment that they work in. Because if I can convince the people around me to take something more seriously or to make a change, that might be the most effective thing that I can do right now to impact the world. When you started going down that path, was there a lot of resistance? Was it hard to get people to listen to the ideas that you wanted to do? Were people generally supportive? Um, yes and no, I would say. I would say yes, it was very hard. Um, you know, because I was bringing up a topic that, that people were not listening too much in the media. You know, it wasn't mainstream. You know, companies are being very successful following their path as it is. So someone like me comes along and says, listen, you need to change this or you need to do that because it's coming and the wave is going to be here. Why should they believe me? You know, like what? I was just starting my journey. So there, there definitely was a lot of pushback from very senior people. And listen, I get it. You know, they were, they were saying you, you're bringing, you know, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Why? Wh what, what are you talking about? So you need to find sort of like a network of, of allies that, are, that have the same opinion as you, people that are probably well-known in the field that have been there for so many years, right? And, and bring them into the equation and introduce them to, to the people that you're talking to so we can have an open-minded discussion. Don't give up it's, and don't get defensive either. You have to understand where they're coming from, right? At the end of the day, working in the company, they're going to be like, of course, it's about helping the planet and the environment and society, but it's also about making money. Right. So you have to find the language that you can talk, talk to them in. Right. So find common ground. So, you know, it was very tough at first, but then there was somebody that did open up and a senior person that, that sort of sponsored me and took me on, on the journey with them. So changing in culture is, is definitely something that ESG demands from companies, but it cannot happen overnight. It's, it's very difficult. Every company is in a different journey and, you have to be mindful of what to talk about and when and when to push the triggers and when not. So it has to be done in, in tandem. It's like a it's like ballroom dancing, right? You have to both dance at the same time to get to the destination. So that's a great analogy. And you mentioned finding common ground, such an important piece, because we know that there are two systems out there. There's a sharp division. There's the system that says numbers must go up every quarter, and if they don't, shareholders will be disappointed. There's that system, which doesn't value sustainability or eco-friendly things at all, because the only thing that matters is whether the numbers go up or not. And then there's this other world where people say, let's focus on the planet. Let's do all of this other stuff that may not make numbers go up, and that may be totally separate from these this other system. So we've got these two worlds and I've always felt just like most things in life. And I know you probably agree with this. If you keep them separate, nothing is going to get done. It, it can, you can call it party lines if you like, but I think it's bigger than that. It's more than just Democrat Republican kind of thing, but you have to, like you said, speak the language of 
how can I convince a company or an organization that taking care of the planet is in their best financial interest? How can I explain to somebody that it's not just a completely irrelevant hippy dippy thing over here that's going to hurt your bottom line, but that there won't be a bottom line in a few years without it, that it's a necessary part. And, and I created this show to celebrate people who are doing that, who are building the kind of change that they want to see in the world, because it's so easy for us to get cynical. It's so easy for smart people to get cynical and say, forget it. We're screwed. It's hopeless. We missed the boat. It's done. It's harder to say, what would it take to make a change and how can I implement that? So I'm curious how you feel about those two worlds and what, what your research has shown you in the last few years. You know, Raz, you're hitting on a point that is like really important in the ESG world, um, which is, you know, how can I go down that journey and make money or do I not make money or like that debate still continues. I am of the opinion that in the medium to long term, subscribing to ESG is better for shareholders, for sure. There's so many studies out there Ross, that point that and that they have statistics and they have metrics that are, are demonstrating that it's good, sound business practices to embrace sustainability. I see it like a kind of like a risk management tool. Like it literally, it makes sense, right? So you don't want to be caught like a big oil company with a big oil spill. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to take care of, you know, your processes and, and make sure that the, the ships are very strong so they don't spill any material into the oceans. And you need to make sure that things are done in, in the process that minimizes risk. That's what ESG is about, honestly. And it's the same with the social standards, right? You want to treat your employees right. You want to you make sure that you listen to them so there's no scandals that come out later. There's got to be open communication. So all of that really is a risk management tool. So I'm of the belief that they go hand in hand. Um, and I, that's one of the things that it really, especially in Wall Street, you know, it's starting to, the discussion is starting to, and people starting to believe more and more, but there's a lot of minds that need to be changed. And so, you know, luckily I'm not alone. There's a lot of information out there and that's what I use when I have conversations with senior managers. That's great. Well, I'm glad you're out there advocating on behalf of the cause. That's fantastic. So now at this point, I think we should get into some of the nuts and bolts of what you actually created and how it works. Sure thing. We're very excited. The, the name of the product that we created is Impact by Interactive Brokers. And myself and, and my director who worked on this, Will Paterfi, were very excited about it. It's, it's really a tool that is like no other. And I'm not just saying that because we produce it. Of course. But we wanted to, to make it personal, right? Just like I mentioned that sustainability... Um, means different things to different people, we should allow that to be the case also for investors, right? So for me, maybe I care more about social issues and the environment. And for you, it might be the flip side, right? So this tool does take that into account. It's a customized journey where you're able to select from 13 values that you care about most, right? So other products out there, what they do is they will provide what they call is an ESG score, Right. So that's based on, on certain methodologies that that different companies have. So we take those scores, but we transform them and add an impact lens. Right. Based on your personal values. Right. So we have 13 values that fall into the buckets of environment, social and governance. Some examples are clean air, pure water, uh, racial equality, LGBTQ inclusion, 
sustainable business model. So the app starts with that. It asks you what you care about most, right? And you actually can put in the degree of importance, either important or not very important or most, most important. And then after that, you have another filter of areas that you would like to avoid in your investments, like animal testing, uh, nuclear testing, fossil fuels, and others. And based on those two filters, you'll be able to look at your existing investments and see how closely aligned they are to your personal values. So you'll get a personalized scorecard. You'll be getting a B, for example, on your overall portfolio. And then you'll be able to see, wow, okay, it's a B. It's, it's good, but I would love to get an A. What areas are really bringing down the score? And so you'll be able to see each of your investments, how closely they are aligned. Oh, maybe I had an investment in a technology company that doesn't really align with you know, diversity, for example. And so then you're like, okay, what can I do to shift it? So the app itself also lists company that will help you improve your score. So that's kind of like a, in a big general sense, what the app is does, what the app does. And we think it's, it's a very unique tool because it's, it's customizable and it's for you. Just like everybody's got a different fingerprint, so, so do you have personal values. Uh, so it's very exciting to to bring this tool to to the world. Actually, that is it is a great concept because a lot of people are invested per the advice of Warren Buffett and so on. You know, put it your money in index funds, monitor the S and P, unmanaged, all of that. It's a safe place to put your money. Maybe not so safe the last six months, but it'll rebound eventually, I'm sure. But it's a good point that when you're investing in these blanket funds. You don't know exactly who you're supporting. You look at your money and you say, it's either going up or it's going down. I'm either happy or I'm sad about that, my return on investment. But there might be some companies in there that you're supporting that you might not be wanting to support. Like maybe you're supporting Meta or Facebook and you don't agree with their data collection policy or the way Zuckerberg has been handling things. Or you're supporting oil companies and you don't believe in fossil fuels. So the idea that you can customize your portfolio along the lines of your values is indeed an intriguing one to make it easy to say, these are the types of things that I support and I don't want my money supporting organizations that I don't believe in. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I think that's why this tool is so awesome um, because it allows you to, to go through that journey. And, and frankly, what we do also is we don't only allow you to look at how aligned you are to personal values, because at the end of the day, you also want to make money. I mean, you know, that's, so there's also sort of like a financial lens and performance lens where you can compare side to side. Okay, this company is, you know, making me money in the short term, but it doesn't allow with my values. So then you have the ability as an investor to decide what you care about most. And I think that's what's awesome about it, you know? And in addition, we also give you the opportunity to give back to your communities, right? We want to, sort of demonstrate that it's not just about investing your money, but there's also a charitable feature within the app in the United States only, by the way, because the tool is global. We're hopefully going to expand that outside soon. But based on your values, you also the app also gives you charities that align with your values. So how cool is that? If you care about clean air, you're going to get a whole lot of charities that are doing things to improve the, the air or water or social equality. There, there's a quite a number of charities in there, over 200,000 that you can donate to. So I think that that's awesome. So you take the money from your earnings, right, that you're making and you give back to your communities that way, um, which is pretty, pretty cool. And we also give the opportunity for users that are just starting in their sustainability journey. Suppose that 
you're just starting and you don't even know, okay, I, I don't even, okay. So I really support clean water, but I don't even know where to start, what companies, how. So we do have an opportunity for people to go in there and look at ready-made portfolios that are on the themes of the 13 values that I mentioned. And then you can just invest in those if you're not ready to fully commit for specific stock picking. So that's so, also so, a very neat feature. Go ahead. That's cool. So I, I open the app, I select my criteria, and then it spits out a result of these are companies that align with that particular value or set of values that you selected? It would be, yes, correct. If you already have an existing portfolio and you're already a client of ours, you'll get a letter grade. But if not, you'll get recommendations um, or, or listed companies, not recommendations, but just listed companies that align with your values. So then if you, you can- If somebody had a, mm -hmm. a general index fund, Vanguard, say any of the major index funds, what value do you think those would get? What grade do you suspect they would get? It's it's a very interesting question. I think we'll we'll have to put them in the, into the test. Each there's so many sort of ETFs and all that that have specific themes in mind, and it also depends on the underlying securities, right? There's a basket of securities in there. So and honestly, the app itself gives you real time information. So today the letter grade might be an A, for example. Maybe tomorrow will be a B because one of the underlying investments had a big scandal in the news and. You know, it 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 sort of adapts to it and responds quickly. So it it all depends on the themes and it depends on the underlying securities. Except it's probably more like today it's an F and <laughs> tomorrow it's maybe a more D. <laughs> I doubt it's an A if I had to guess. <laughs> Unless it's a pretty lax grading system. Yeah, no, it's it you're right. It's it's tough. You know, I think then and especially the world changes every day. So there's always new things that come out. So and you mentioned you have some pre-made portfolios, so some packages, basically. And how, how many companies might be located in one of those portfolios? I would say, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, maybe 20 to 30. Um, it, it changes once again. Um, what we try to do is keep it current. We look at all the securities out there and try to put the ones that are aligned within those values. Um, so we get rebalanced on a, on a frequent basis. But the, yeah, there's 13 different portfolios based on the values that you see on the app too. Super cool. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, obviously, this is targeted at millennials, my generation, or Zoomers, or Gen Z. If there's one thing generations of all ages love, it's being categorized in a blanket statement. Everybody loves being lumped together, I've noticed. Um, <clears throat> not true. Uh, <laughs> but we can say that there are certain trends. Have you noticed certain trends, broadly speaking, in the values of the younger generations when it comes to things like investing their, their money? Can we say that there are trends or is that just a myth? You know, I, I would tell you from where I'm sitting, I, I am seeing trends and I do believe that millennials and Gen Zs, and I'm a little bit older than a millennial, I can tell you. So I package myself as millennial because I care about the same things. Um, but I think environment and social justice is definitely something that is coming to the surface. Um, you're seeing it. You're seeing it out there, you know, during the pandemic, obviously, um, all the things that we saw in terms of social justice marches and the way that it was embraced by corporate America. Um, and those came mostly from, from that generation. Um, and it's the same with the environment. You're seeing it globally. It's not just in the United States, right? You're seeing sort of the passion for for people in terms of, you know, protecting the environment and you're seeing activism is really on the rise um, globally. So I think those are the two themes I would say are trends. Yeah. And do you think that there's an interest? I mean, obviously having extra cash is 
Not the strong suit of the younger generations. It's no secret that many feel that they'll never be able to afford a home. Many of them feel that they will never be able to pay off their student loans. All of these issues that make it very hard for the younger generation to say, I'm going to invest in anything. What advice do you have for people who feel that they're completely screwed on that front? I would say not to look at self as, as you being screwed. As a matter of fact, our app doesn't really have minimums. There's there's no like barriers to entry, so to speak, like it was in the past. And I really think that things have changed dramatically since maybe 15 or 20 years ago where investing was seen kind of like a luxury. You know, you, you have to have minimal investment assets of like 100,000, 250, whatever it is. Today, anybody can do it, right? And I think it's it's a longer term play as well. Uh, just put your, your money in there. It has to sit for a long period of time. I mean, I'm not giving financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but I think that the barriers have come down dramatically uh, in terms of, of investing. And um, you're seeing it with a lot of our competitors out there too. And it's becoming a global phenomenon. It's giving the opportunity to everyone to take a slice of, of the market. You know, you also have a thing called fractional shares, which I'm sure you probably heard of where you don't have to buy a full share because it's $10,000, right? And it's too expensive. Yep. So just get a fraction of it. So things are Your changing. Berkshire. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems clear that this is part of a trend that's going to continue for a long time. It's clear that eventually people who care about the environment, who care about the world will want to have the kind of control over where their money is invested. Many smart people throughout the ages deliberately avoided investing in the stock market. People like George Carlin thought it was immoral to support any of the corporate structure of America, so he never invested. Uh, other people are looking for ways to invest because they know that you have to grow your money or inflation will eat you alive. It's the only protection that you have against the rising cost of everything. So it makes sense to me that we're going to head in a direction where people are more conscious about what they're choosing to invest in. They're choosing to invest in things that aren't motivated purely by greed. I don't know that that will become the default, but some people out there, for sure, people like myself, will be very interested in things like that in the future. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. So that's why it's exciting. I think we're living in a time where we're seeing so many things happen. Like, honestly, I was just saying to someone, it's like, my God, all this like world events and wars and all these crazy things are happening. Happening, but I think we're moving in, in the right direction. It's painful, but I think it's opening up the opportunity to bring us all even more and more together. And even in the financial world, like I was saying, with everybody has an opportunity to, to invest. Yeah. So yeah. it's good to, to be in this place, even though it seems hard at times, I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. And I think we all get to choose, like you said, we're all walking wallets. We vote with our dollar. We, we vote with which products we buy. Something I've talked about on the show repeatedly is even though Coca-Cola produces just millions and millions and millions of bottles of trash with plastic waste every single day, maybe billions, who knows, there is this element that corporations are responsible for some parts. And I, I do agree with that. I think they have the power to make changes. Then they should make those changes if they have the power to do that. I believe that. But I also believe that they keep producing billions of bottles of Coke because people keep buying Coca-Cola and plastic bottles. And we choose with our money whether to support unsustainable farming practices or to support a CSA box from a local farm. We choose to buy single-use plastic or something that might be a little more expensive right now that is better for the environment. We get to make a series of choices. We should make a series of choices about what we value most. Uh, 
And that can help us feel like we're supporting the people that we want to support. And that's why I created this show. I wanted to support the people that I felt deserved support. I wanted to give a platform to the people that I liked what they were doing instead of just always talking about the people that I don't like what they're doing, which is just obvious in the American climate today, politically and in all other manners. So the idea, again, of I can support these companies because I believe in them and these are the reasons why is a very nice thought versus I'm just trying to make my money grow and I don't care how it happens. Yeah. And Ross, thank you for mentioning that. And thank you for giving myself and others a platform to discuss all this stuff. I think it's it's very helpful. And and yeah, I mean, you, you're seeing one of the things I was going to mention is, you know, you're talking about sort of the, the power of the wallet. There are estimates out there that there's a transfer of wealth happening, right, from the boomers to millennials and others that is expected to be in the trillions, right? And I think companies globally are, are making note of this. And as I was alluding to earlier, they are looking at sustainability. For me now, I'm like, I'm thrilled because I'm seeing it everywhere. When I first started, there was nowhere to be like a few articles, maybe one, two a day. Now it's everywhere. And you mentioned Coca-Cola, but this is also hitting the like the fashion industry, oh, right? Yeah. You're hearing it so much, the sustainability of the clothes you're wearing. You know, what Fast material, fashion. you got it. What material is being used? Where is it for a source? Who is producing it? So that's like the environmental side, but also the social side. You know, who is actually working for your company? Where lo- where they're located? Are, be- are they being treated nicely? So there's there's a whole supply chain factor that is being notice more and more now. So it's not just your company, but who are you partnering yourself up with? Who is supplying you with all the material? That's also um, becoming a big, big factor in sustainability. And I think it's great. So it's across the whole chain from the beginning until the end of the product is produced. So, and, and consumers are, are, are becoming very interested in this and they're smart now. You're, they're reading labels more than ever before. They wanna see where it was made. So there's a, I think there's a huge revolution happening in sustainability across the board. Yeah, I think you're right. And people are discovering that a lot of these things aren't win-lose, they're win-wins, win-win-win. If I go to a farmer's market and support somebody, if I buy eggs from somebody who has happy chickens right there, that is a happy interaction. These mm-hmm. things make us happy and we feel good. It's winning, it's winning all around, reducing the carbon footprint, reducing the amount of packaging. There are certain things that we can do that are just better. There are certain practices that make everybody happier, make everybody better. And it's not just as simple as this is more expensive and this is cheaper or this is better, this is worse. We're starting to see the nuance in that. And I'm happy also, like I was uh, very shocked a few years back to talk to somebody who made jeans, who had a sustainable jean company. And when I learned what went into a pair of traditional jeans, it's swimming pools worth of drinkable water goes into the production of one pair of jeans and dye and all of this stuff. He showed it to me in a PowerPoint presentation. I just couldn't believe how harmful a single pair of jeans was. And we talk about stuff like don't water your lawn. What about all this other stuff that's wasting water, wasting valuable resources? Yeah. And, and I think it's it's great that you mentioned that as well, because it's it's making us more um, aware and more to question more, you know, where where is this coming from? Like, you know, we we take it for granted, like you're saying, we sit here as consumers and we just like wear our clothes or drink our water or whatever. And we're like, oh, OK, this is great. But where is this all coming from? You know, and it's great that the question is, is starting to happen now. 
you know, and that, that'll lead to solutions. And again, that's when the, the power of the wallet comes and you're the one that's going to decide, no, I don't want to buy this anymore. Uh, and companies are starting to listen. All right, great. And now we're going to switch gears entirely. We're going to rewind and we're going to go into a different segment here. So I want to talk a bit about your personal life, your arc. So you came from a met, you came from finance. Let's talk about your career as it began. What is the arc of your career from start to now? Oh my goodness. Okay. Wow. You're going to make me feel really old. Okay. You don't have to give dates. You can pretend. <laughs> I'm not giving dates. There are yeah, no exactly. dates here. <laughs> or time. Don't worry. Time limits. You can be very general and very broad. I'm going into the archives. That's why. Um, so yeah, uh, I would tell you, you know, when, when I was young, you know, I, I was born in Mexico. Um, my parents are from the Middle East, uh, Lebanon and Egypt. They were married in Israel. And then I was born in Mexico, as I said, and then we came to, to America. And, you know, for me, there was always this sort of global international, um, element to myself that, that, that really kind of inspired me to be involved in that sector, whichever way I could. And so, um, you know, my undergraduate studies, I, I studied political science and then, um, I was working towards politics. I'm like, I want to be, um, a diplomat. I want to do something, you know, in the, in the state department, I want to do something global. And then I, I got my master's degree in, in, in Washington, DC and pursued an international relations degree. And I was convinced I was going into that world. Um, but then I got a master's degree in MBA and went into finance. And to be honest, I went into finance just like a lot. Well, I'm, I'm not going to succeed for everyone, but it's because, oh, that, that's where the money is. It'll make me happy. Yep. Big mistake for me, at least, you know, because it never really worked that way. I, I started in banking um, and I've done a lot of uh, and incredible things. I'm not saying that I that it's all been and you know, obviously led me to where I am today. But there was always like this element of trying to do more and, and to have more impact in the world. Um, but there was always an international element involved in all of my positions. And I carry that also in my, in my personal life. I love, just like you said, to travel. I love meeting people from everywhere in the world. It, it's actually awesome. Every time I take a cab or every time I see someone, I'm like, where are you from? And some of them probably think I'm crazy, but I, I love chatting everybody, everyone up. Me but too. that's what unites us, you know, and I promise it creates a bond. People just sort of become softer, become so nice. And you develop this like, wow, we're all human after all, yep. you know, and you find common elements. And so that international part of it is really very exciting to me. And that's always been a part of my career. Um, and yeah, and so I've been in, in finance most of my life, but now finance with a purpose. So and that's what I love about it. I think I know the answer to this, but would you say that your life has been straightforward up until now? Would you feel that you've taken a straight path? No, I would tell you that I, I took a very different path. I was always doing things different than, you know, where I came from. I also came from a religious background, but I wasn't religious. So I was always kind of like rebelling in my own way and pushing away. Um, it did feel lonely for quite some time, to be honest. Um, I didn't have sort of like the network. Who do I talk to about all these challenges that I'm going through? It was very tough. Um, but but eventually, you know, it got me to a place where I'm so much more enriched and I feel so fortunate because I also want to give back to others that are going through the same things that I'm going through in terms of, okay, what's my purpose? What do I do? Um, you know, do I need to make money to be happy? Do I not? I mean, sort of like I love to mentor people and to teach them um, about the journey that I've been in. So it has not been straightforward, but I'm glad that it wasn't, honestly. 
because it's made me a much more, like I said, fulfilled and enriched person. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And it's another theme that we've come across many times, which is people seem to have this nature inside of themselves. Certainly people, like you said, who are globally minded, who have a broader perspective on life, our place in the world and the universe. There's this piece of them that is either suppressed or being expressed. And I think that for many, many, many people, they have habitually suppressed that part of their personality for an extended period of time. And one of the great tragedies of the human experience is that some people live their whole lives with that part of them suppressed. And then on their deathbed one day, mm. they finally have a moment of clarity and they realize, hey, I messed up. Maybe that third Mercedes wasn't what it was all about. Maybe having a house that was way too big wasn't what it was all about. Maybe treating people like crap along the way wasn't what it was all about. Maybe showing off my wealth and buying things just because I could without thinking about whether I should or not wasn't what it was all about. How do you think that people can awaken and embrace that side of themselves if they themselves feel that it's pushed down and they know deep down that they're not letting it run free? You know, that's that's a really, really good question. And and what I would say is you need to do sort of like a, a check-in, a self-check-in. Am I happy? Am I fulfilled? What's missing? And it's very tough to do those things, you know, and I'm not, it's kind of like going to a therapist, but you should do it on your own. You don't need a therapist and see, okay, am I really happy? Do I feel like I want to get up in the morning every day and go to work? What's missing? Like do, do sort of like a list of things that you you really feel passionate about, that you really want to accomplish. Are you there there? Are you not? And again, it doesn't have to be monetarily. It doesn't have to be like, I want to get a house by the time I... No, it could be like everyday things. You know, I want to, I want to go ride my bike. You have to make time for those things to come in. But you also have to be brave with yourself. Like you have to take that next step because it's not easy changing your behavior, changing your ways, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's like a changing culture in a company. It's your change in, in behavior, changing your own culture. So you got to be brave and be honest with yourself and, and go there. You know, sometimes we don't want to go there saying, oh, I'm not happy. I don't want to talk about it. Oh, let's let's just go drink. Oh, let's, let's forget about it. It's not going to go away. Uh, it's going to catch up with you, as you said. So you really need to take that brave step and, and analyze and say, okay, I'm not happy. And it's okay when your friends ask you, how are you doing? I'm not doing good today. I'm feeling very sad. Be vulnerable. Actually, being vulnerable is being brave, in my opinion. So you have to start having those tough discussions with yourself and with others and, and start finding a way to make you happy. I know it sounds very cliche, but that's, I promise, that's what life is about. You really have to find that space. Right. And we have the expression of ripping off the Band-Aid. We know mm -hmm. that there's a lot of things that the sooner we get to them, the better. And there's this micro internal side of that, what we ourselves feel, things that I know that I should do, but I don't. Whether it's, again, writing that book you've always wanted to write or creating something, things that we're putting off that we know we should do. We have this vague idea that on our deathbed, we might regret something or we might regret not having done something. But the same is also true of our planet and of the environment. Again, I think we don't want to go there, both in terms of ourselves and in terms of what's happening in the world, because it's yeah. easier to say there's no drought happening. There's no right. heat wave happening. Business as usual. Let's just keep going forward. Mm -hmm. But we know 
Just like if you don't go to the dentist for 50 years, you're going to have some big problems eventually. Right. You can only hide it for so long, right? You can only pretend that everything's fine both for yourself and for the world for so long. But eventually, like you said, it will catch up with you internally and externally. It'll catch up with all of us. Yeah, and and I think it's one of the things, it, you know, for the environment and some of the things you mentioned, sometimes people don't act because it's not affecting you. Right. So it's it's not affecting my everyday commute. It doesn't affect my vacations. It doesn't affect me going and having a meal with my friends. And so that's why it's easy to just sit and wait. But and this is the other thing that's an important point. Maybe the environment, you know, the, the sort of really horrible, catastrophic things won't happen for another 70, 100 years where we won't be around. And that's why sometimes it's, ah, no, you, you need to act now. It's kind of like giving back to others. It's kind of like a charitable you know, action. You need to think of, of others as well. You're not alone in the world, you know? And I think that's what sometimes we forget. And that's what we feel lonely and we feel, you know, we, we don't matter or whatever because we sometimes have our own entity. No, get out of yourself. Be out there and connect. And that's what's going to help. Completely agree. Couldn't agree more with what you just said. So the next five years, everything goes swimmingly. Everything works out. It's a smashing success. What do you see happening in the next five, 10 years? What would be the best case scenario for you? In terms of sustainability, in terms of the personal journey? Personal or, and yeah. in terms of the mission. You know, I the, the perfect scenario is that people will all be aligned. Everybody will work together to help um, save the environment. Um, everybody will be nicer to each other, treat each other with respect, be more mindful about where we're coming from. There won't be any sort of discrimination. Um, we can help each other out professionally, personally, and we can make the place more livable and less lonely um, and connect with one another. I think that's kind of the, the ideal scenario and for everybody to be happy in whichever way they feel happy is. So. Well, that covers the external. And for you personally, what does victory look like the next five, 10? Oh. Honestly, um, I continue to, and I'm not saying like I'm, I'm looking for like success every day, but I continue to learn more, find more things, uh, get more insightful. But I am honestly the happiest now that I've been ever. Wow. And I'm not perfect. Trust me, I still have my, my ups and downs, but I went through some really tough times at a younger age. And I'm very happy to be here because I'm, I'm opening up. I've, I've found, you know, meditation and connecting with people. And that has really helped me tremendously. So I hope to continue to learn. I hope to continue to mentor and continue to give back to, to communities and continue to be of service because I think that's where on this planet for. And that's what provides you and others with joy. Absolutely. I think it's a human feeling. I think when we give back, you will feel fulfilled. You will feel happier. Sometimes we forget that. Do you think that it's true? I think we know the answer, but do you think that it's true? A lot of people are in jobs or they're doing a kind of work where they're always going to be doing the same kind of thing. Maybe in your world, it's spreadsheets. You've got Excel spreadsheets open 24 seven. You do the same kind of work. Do you think that there's a difference? Because a lot of people feel, I don't like this kind of work that I'm doing. That's a common scenario. Somebody says, I don't like doing this anymore. Do you think it's possible to feel very differently about doing the same work if it's for a different cause versus another one, if nothing else changed? Yeah, I, I think it could be. 
I think it every individual is different. Some people might be doing the same thing for 40 years or whatever amount of time, but are they happy? I think that's a it's a personal answer that you need to sort of you ask the question and you ask yourself, am I happy or not? So some people may be happy, some people are not. Um, now, of course, it's not easy sometimes to switch to a completely different career that you really love. It takes time, but in the meantime, find other things outside of the work that will fulfill you and make you happy. You know, it doesn't all have to be like that. So it's it's a personal journey, but the, the bottom line is, are you satisfied? Are you fulfilled? Yeah. Very good point. Well, I love that you said that you're, uh, you know, you're multi-ethnic, you've traveled a lot, you've moved to a different country. I love stories like that. I myself lived in a foreign country for eight years. My wife is Dutch. She's half Costa Rican. So oh, cool. I very much enjoy these types of stories. And I think we have a lot of the same values there. What is it about travel that inspires people? What is it about traveling in general that tends to change people's minds? I think it gets you out of your own bubble and your own sort of, if I may add, comfort zone, right? So you go to a place that is completely different to what you're used to. You know, you sort of wake up and you have your own routine and you know how to get to work and you take the subway and here is a gym and da 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 and it's comfortable. You're like, okay, I know. When you travel, especially in countries like Japan or the Middle East where it's completely foreign, it really shakes you. And it makes you appreciate that there's a whole other world outside of where you are, right? And it makes you like, wow, look, there's a completely different language here, different culture, different ways of doing things. So to me, it's, it just gives me a sense of awe and appreciation of, of the world and the earth, right? And, and to me, it's sort of, it, it really is amazing just to see the different cuisines and the different cultures and different ways that people work with one another. So it's, it challenges you, at least to me, and then I welcome it because it's so, it's so amazing to see it. And um, you can learn a lot from it. And you come back to places like New York, for example, where it's so ethnically diverse. I mean, my goodness, I, I was just telling someone the other day, you take the subway here and I promise it's like the representative of all the United Nations countries within Definitely. one car. Absolutely. It's amazing. You look like, wow, yes. and it's awesome. So it makes you sort of appreciate more the place where you live in, at least for me, like being in New York, it's like, wow, okay, I remember I went to this country and that country. And then you have little pockets of like Indian restaurants in New York and, you know, you have Chinatown and you have Koreatown. And, and so it, it makes you appreciate more of the things that are around you. So that's like, what travel does to me. I'm sure it's probably the same for you. Same. Yeah. Here in Los Angeles, it's uh, it's exactly the same. Tons of diversity, food, amazing, many different cultures. One block is in, is Thai town. And then just next to it is a uh, little Armenia. And then just South of it, little El Salvador, just South of that is Koreatown all uniquely authentic in their own way and so much of that just humanity bubbling around and i think you remind me of an interesting concept that when we travel and like you if you move to a foreign country it's hard mm. it's tough it's tough being in japan you don't know your way around and you know you're making a mistake every second i entered the restaurant the wrong way therefore i committed a huge disrespectful act it's difficult doing those things and i think for many people we fear things that we think are difficult, not knowing that there might be happier things on the other side. It's easier for me to stay at home, to never get a passport, to never leave my hometown because getting on a plane is hard. It's challenging. Getting a passport is challenging. Getting a ticket is challenging. Going through security is challenging. Taking an eight-hour flight, 
is challenging. All of these little micro challenging things, but the rewards that wait for you on the other side are huge if you're willing to get over some of those things. And that's also true of moving to another country for an extended period of time, which very few people do, certainly Mm -hmm. by choice, Mm -hmm. right? Definitely, Ross. And I think what you what you just said is is a great example of making changes in your own personal life, right? At first, you don't want to do it. it the, the travel analogy can be brought here as well. Well, like, I'm not happy. How do I change? But I don't want to. Meanwhile, you don't realize that there's probably such an amazing other side of it once you come out, right? So taking that first step, I think, is is the most important thing, and it'll reward you beyond what you expected. Yeah. So. And it also, I think we have this fear of, of going there. We don't like to embrace things that are uncomfortable. And many of us, I know through experience, don't enjoy the idea of thinking thoughts that are uncomfortable or putting ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable just in general. But I, I think there's this viewpoint, for example, like if I see how an iPhone is made, if I see the factory, if I see the pollution, then I have to confront some part of that situation. When I'm choking on smog outside of the factory and I feel bad for the people who live right next to that factory because they're human beings who don't have a choice to go anywhere else, some part of you must confront something. You must ask yourself some kind of question. Or if you're a meat eater and you go watch a factory farm and you watch how a cow is, is killed, yeah. you have to face, you have to connect that experience to the burger that you ate the other day. And that is difficult. I think many people instinctively feel that doing that only leads to unhappiness. If I see the factory farm, if I see the factory, I will just be unhappier than if I ignore all of that and pretend that everything's fine. But I've always believed that that's not necessarily the case. I believe that you can embrace the problems and see the challenges of the world as they are and not be just depressed by it. I believe that you can be aware of what's going on and still find happiness and maybe even find greater happiness because you're aware of what's really going on instead of turning a blind eye. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And and it's also doing something about it. If you're passionate enough, right? You're like, okay, well, this is what I've seen. This is the way they treat cattle. Maybe it's just in that particular, you know, brand that you're eating. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to eat there. Well, maybe it'll turn you vegan, or maybe you can start doing other things. And maybe you can, you can start going on a journey where you find people that think the same way as you, and that can make you a happier person right? Finding people that are value aligned with, with what you believe in. So I agree. It's uncomfortable to, to face those realities at first, because it's, it's the immediate result of it is not satisfaction. I think as, as human beings, you know, we want satisfaction now instant, right? So if I'm not going to get it, why would I go there? And so we have to kind of retrain our brains to realize that taking that first step might be tough, but it might be better for you in the long run. So that's Super something cool. to be mindful of. I love it. Well, we're approaching the end of our time here. Fantastic discussion. I'm glad that I discovered you and that we were able to connect on a lot of the same values. It's been excellent so far. I have a couple little questions as we wrap up here. One of them is a stock one that I like to ask. What is something unusual that you believe that nobody else believes? Something that is a little weird. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, wow. Okay. Something that, you know, I, I think what I, when we've been talking about, honestly, it's sort of like being uncomfortable. 
I think is good. Um, and it's counterintuitive because people think sometimes, oh my God, I don't want to be in that space. But sit in there for a while, don't act and see what comes out at the other end. Don't be reactive, you know, and be uncomfortable. I think it's good for you. That's great. What a great answer to that question. I love that. And now I'm going to give you the floor to wrap things up here. So the final word of this discussion is yours. You can say whatever you want to say. Any last words, anything you want to promote? Go ahead. Take I was going to say, and it's actually a, a flattery to you that I really enjoyed uh, this podcast and talking to you. I think it's been an amazing conversation. I think you do some great work, um, some different work, which is, which, which is what we need to have out there. You know, people that are doing things differently and how do we take those elements and adapt them into our own lives to be happier. So thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing and the pleasure is all mine. I really appreciate those kind words. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. over.